Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 332. Thrilled to be back and getting started in 2024 with a few more podcast episodes to highlight some of the best personalities in the world of amateur and collegiate golf. For those of you that missed the last episode, the guest was, it was me. You know, over the last couple of years, I had a few people tell me, you know, you should be a guest at the back of the range. Find someone to interview you. Well, we finally got it done and I've received a lot of, a lot of positive feedback on this episode. The feedback, actually, was on the performance of the guest host, Stuart Hagestad. Yes, the three-time U.S. Mid-Amateur Champion, four-time U.S. Walker Cupper, he took over as the host, did a great job, and perhaps I can get him to make this more of a regular thing in the future. So, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the episode, gives you a lot of history about the start of the back of the range, go check that out. You know the drill. All the episodes are available in Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you got any questions or any comments on the back of the range, you know you can always reach me, ben at thebackoftherange.com. That is the best way to do that. Congratulations to both Nick Dunlap and Caleb Surratt. I spent a lot of time with them over the last year. Nick at Alabama, Caleb at Tennessee, you know, spent time with them over in St. Andrews at the Walker Cup. Their lives have... Um, Yeah, they've changed rather quickly. Nick picked up that win at the American Express. He earned himself a full PGA Tour card. He has since turned pro. Same can be said for Caleb Surratt. He left Tennessee, and now he joined a different team. He's with John Rahm over at Liv. It will definitely be interesting to follow their journeys this year in their rookie seasons. I wish them both the best as they embark in their professional careers. The spring is starting to ramp up in college golf. I'm going to be at several men's and women's collegiate events in the upcoming weeks. But before that, very excited to get back to the Gasparilla Invitational at Palmasia Golf and Country Club in Tampa, Florida, February 22nd to the 24th. This tournament is one of a kind. Best mid-ams and senior ams in the country. They make their way down to Florida for some warmer temperatures and some first-class competition. It's, um, yeah, it's an exciting tournament, great member support. It's a party, it's, but it's also very competitive. And I'll be hanging out with arguably the best characters in golf. Many of them have actually been guests on the podcast. Guys like Chip Brook, Nick Macario, Matt Parziali, and yes, Tug Maud. Make sure you're following Gasparilla Invitational on Instagram. That's where you will see a lot of the hijinks. But, you know, you can always follow the back of the range, as always. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Go to the website, thebackoftherange.com, and that's where you'll be able to find all the content. Now, um, I always give a little mention about the merch store. I had a couple people ask me, like, hey, do you have any merch? I'm thinking, I've been talking about this forever. I got hats, got towels, uh, hoodies. I got this stuff. So um, go ahead and check that out on the website as well. And there are some items that I've actually just received that I need to put up on the store that I haven't done so yet. So if you want to get a little bit of a head start on that, send me a DM on Instagram 
or shoot me an email and just say, Ben, what are you talking about? What merch do you have that you've not put up yet? I will probably get some stuff out to some people that want to get a little bit of a head start on some of these items. So check out the merch store, check out everything else on the website, thebackoftherange.com. That is where you find all that stuff. Okay, let's get going. My guest on this episode is Matt Thurmond, head coach of the Arizona State Men's Golf Program. One of the premier programs in the country, always contending for a national championship. And I've really enjoyed following this program and how they operate. And it all starts at the top with Coach Thurman. Part of our conversation revolved around his take on social media, how it helps showcase his current players, and ultimately makes it easier for him to recruit when it comes time to reload with a new crop of freshmen. Fascinating conversation. I think that everyone is going to take away a tremendous amount of value from this episode. So let's get it going. Coach Thurman, welcome to the Back of the Range. How are you? That that helps? Okay. Um, <laughs> all right. So this is draft copy, Back of the Range. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing great today. Yeah, man. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, just getting back from the holidays, getting ready to start the spring season. Uh, we, well, we, I guess we could be a little further from each other. I'm in South Florida and you're, uh, you're back there at Arizona, St. Scottsdale. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know we're, we're kind of crossing the, uh, the country right now, but we're going to go further West in just a few minutes. Uh, you know where I'm heading in a little bit, but yeah, always fun checking in with, with premier programs in the D one level. Uh, how are things going at Arizona state right now? Um, What's uh, what's kind of been the, the latest update with you and the team? Well, the very live update is that we are five rounds into a six-round qualifier. What we're calling it the statement. Uh, if you know me, you know I like to name everything. Okay, now, name, all right, you're, you're already <laughs> throwing me off because I'm like, oh, he's going to say, wasn't it the Scorcher once? Well, that's the fall one. That's oh, okay. The, when we just come back, yeah. Okay. So the statement is, you know, kind of making a statement after about where you are and your, your, your off-season efforts and – uh, what the spring's going to look like. So we have a very deep team this year, 12 players that are all you know, more than capable. And so we have a pretty open qualifier going on right now. We played five of the six rounds, the final round tomorrow, Phoenix country club, bunch of guys kind of tied right in the middle. You know, anytime you have a big qualifier, you have those that kind of go out front. Those are the guys that are at the bottom and it's always super tight in the middle. And uh, that's what we have. So it's exciting. We had uh, the copper cup last week, our first event on MLK weekend, Arizona won that. They got us, and uh, good for them. Uh, we beat <laughs> USC to finish third. Okay. Uh, and then and then we go to Tucson uh, for Arizona's event uh, this weekend. Yeah, it starts on Monday. Not that you're targeting any revenge whatsoever to play Arizona at all, right? Well, you know, that's the fans get excited about that and we would certainly like to win, but we got we got things we, we focus on what we, we need to worry about. <laughs> of course. Well said, well said. I, I love that. Arizona won. Good for them. Yeah, that's okay. These things all right. So back to the statement. Who is making the strongest statement right now in Arizona State Golf or in the uh, in the qualifier? Well, uh, two guys. Uh, Riggs Johnson is leading. I think he's twenty seven under par through five rounds. Oh uh, Riggs is a an amazing player and has had some incredible highs in our program and has basically been a four and a half year starter for us. Yeah. Uh, All American and everything. Uh, but at times he's felt like he wasn't playing the way he could. And I uh, thought he had a pretty good fall and worked hard in the off season. He's in a great place mentally. And I think he's, uh, he's making a pretty big statement at 27 under par. The other guy that's making a statement I would say is when Ding. 
Yeah. Uh, Winnie Ding, the long anticipated arrival of Winnie Ding. Yeah. So he's, he's currently in second place at 24 under par and, and everybody's going, geez, this guy doesn't make any mistakes or, uh, the, the guys are seeing him play for the first time up close and they're yeah. very impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Winnie Ding, uh, us junior amateur champion. I think, what was that? 22, I think 22, 23. 2022 uh yeah yeah 2022 yeah bandon dunes yeah bandon dunes beat uh, beat caleb surratt um and and i saw him a handful of times over the summer some of the transmiss some at i believe the western and yeah a lot of people they were like yeah this guy's a real deal like just doesn't miss everything sounds just a little different um but yeah that's uh that's good. And Riggs, you know, the thing I remember about Riggs, first of all, I feel like Riggs has been at your on your team for seven years. I know that's not right, but it yep. feels like Riggs has been there for a long time. But whenever I would see you guys, especially the national championship, Riggs, uh, Riggs's mom and grandmother would go out and follow him and just brave the heat, and they didn't care. They were always there. And I see him at, at Valspar all the time, too. So that's, that's the cool thing about college golf the, the parents roll out and you kind of get the relationships built there and and yeah that's one thing i remember about uh, about riggs riggs's grandma turned 80 last night he You're was at her kidding. birthday dinner and she will be walking 36 every day that it's every day that it's necessary this spring that's awesome that's so cool yeah yeah um well i mean this is yeah the statement what are some of the other names do you remember some of the other names of I mean, you got scorcher you got statement what are yeah. some of the other ones well i mean those are just qualifyings uh if it's not a big one we usually haven't named them okay uh, but i i mean i name everything uh whether it's a piece of the facility or a, uh, a drill we do uh any competition that's just like i said i've just learned that when you name something and, and create a narrative around it, it 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 seems to become more important so uh, if you were to hear us in practice or in a team meeting, you'd hear all these names. You wouldn't know what they are. Uh, and I'd say, Hey, go, go hit from the, you know, go hit from the middle East El Diablo, you know, 10 shots in gauntlet style. Uh, my guys would know what that means, but right. nobody else would. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so kind of, uh, well, that makes it fun. Everyone can kind of take ownership of something that's private and special to the team. So, um, right. Yeah. Well, I did my research as I tend to do here before bringing on a on a special guest here at the the back of the range, um, Burlington, Washington, home of the Skagit Valley Tulip Festival. Is that bringing back any memories? Well, you know, your research didn't. You know, it's Skagit, okay? It's Skagit, and okay, so we, you know, that, that's the first sign that you, you know, you aren't really an insider that you call oh, I'm, Skagit. Oh, oh, oh I, I, I'm, I'm totally not, and and I'm not embarrassed at all, and will not edit this out. So, Skagit Valley Tulip Festival, I have no problem with that. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't think there's a better place in the world with more just regular down to earth good quality high character people in the Skagit Valley and yes we have the annual uh, spring tulip festival it's a farm town small small farm town basically you know you have Burlington Mount Vernon Anacortes Cedar Woolly these sm four small towns the gateway to the San Juan Islands the North Cascades Highway um, about an hour from British Columbia and an hour from Seattle it's just an absolutely amazing place to live and grow up and i'm lucky to have come from there i uh, i was in that area um uh, i went to i did a trip with uh with my mom actually last summer before the the summer of amateur golf started and i uh 
flew into Vancouver. Now, did I, I pronounce Vancouver correctly, right? Is that, is that yes, correct? You did. Okay, you, there, yes, you did. Yes, you did. There it is. Okay, so went to Vancouver and did British Columbia and Banff and uh, and uh, the Kamloops on a train trip and all that. So, yeah, beautiful area of, of the country, both countries, actually. But um, everything you're talking about, none of this sounds like it's a hotbed for golf. So um, can you just explain how you actually got into the game? This, this sounds like hockey country, skiing country, um, you know, maybe some football, but golf, not, not so much. Well, it's interesting you say that because in a way, um, it actually, maybe not on a global scale sure. you notice it, but it was, we had a lot of great players growing up and many went on to play division one, uh, golf. Uh, and I've noticed over the years, it's really not as much about a geographic location that produces the golfers, but more a culture within a club or community. Fair. And at Skagit country club where, uh, you know, growing up, I wasn't a member, but there was a pro there named Carl Welty, who was one of the top players. I mean, sorry, one of the top golf instructors ever. Um, the one that the instructors go to and coached many, many PGA tour players, over the years. Well, Carl Welty happened to be the pro at the play at the club right there in town for a while, uh, before, you know, after Sahali and before moving down to La Costa, he was had this time at Skagit and his kids played. And anyway, I got kind of connected with the right group and started to play and started taking lessons from Carl at age seven. And the thing about it is there was such a big group of junior golfers that were really good playing every single day that it was just the ultimate place to grow up. We had, you know, you would walk, I would walk to the course a mile or two every day. And there was always eight to 12 kids ready to play and gamble and chip and putt and do whatever for as long as we possibly could. Uh, And I think that's, that's what you look for when you're looking for like these recruiting hotbeds, almost always there's this culture where they don't necessarily go out and play with their dad or by themselves, but there's this environment where, they play against each other every day. And a lot of times there's gambling involved for me. I mean, I would, yeah, I would lose candy bars or win candy bars some days, but there was days I'd come home without a six iron or a four wood or a putter because I lost it in, in gambling, you know, and uh, there's something good about that. All right. That's a, that's a new one. I, that's a little hardcore where uh, you got your buddies. You're like, yeah, give me that putter. Thanks. Um, hey, wow. You're when gambling. You're, when you're 12, when you're 12 and you ran out of money and you ran out of, you know, tournament winnings, that was, you first went to the credit and the pro shop, you'd won in tournaments, right? You'd get rid of that. Okay. But then when you're out of everything, like, well, I'll just take your six iron or I'll just, <laughs> I like your wedge. I'll take that. And, you know, a lot of times you were able to get it back in sure. future competitions, but, uh, sure. but you learn, you wow. learn how to compete. Um, Okay. Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I don't think I've heard that one in a while. That's saying something because I've, <laughs> I've talked to a few people here and there. Um, yeah, I kind of want to go down a rabbit hole of like, what's the farthest you got into someone's bag? Like how many, (laughs) I mean, how many, I forget about the money, the money I really have no interest in whatsoever anymore. I want to know, like, were you rolling up to the country club with like 19 clubs in your bag and just be like, (laughs) yeah, I'm, I, I'm the captain now. Well, it's a different time period. Like your clubs, you got new set, new clubs every four years and I don't think I ever had new clubs until I was in college. So they were always hand-me-downs for me. I mean, losing a club at that point was, was a huge deal. These kids now, I mean, if they, if they break a club or something, they call the equipment manufacturer, they have a new one at their house the next day. Yeah. But in our case, like losing a, losing a six, I said six iron on purpose because 
the first question, well, I guess I got to take a club. So it'd be like, well, how about my four iron or my six iron? You know, you find which clubs are the least valuable because you got to go back and gamble tomorrow. That's and you amazing. need the the most important clubs in the bag. So the six iron was actually a pretty common common. You fun. you sound like a debt collector, like from an old mafia <laughs> movie. Like, hey, listen, uh, we don't want to make this hard on you. Just do the right thing, you know. Just just give me the six iron. Nobody gets hurt. I mean, that's what it sounds like. It's a the, it's a great education, actually, for being a competitor. That's what I think. The, the gritty mean streets of Burlington, Washington. Um, there you go. You, okay, so obviously um, you're into the game. You play your collegiate golf at BYU. You have a, have a, a nice career there, um, you know. But your, your foray into coaching, from at least my understanding, was not like, okay, this is my dream. This is my passion. This is what I was born to do. Wasn't it basically just your coach at BYU kind of saying, "Hey, you want to stick around?" Yes, absolutely. That's <laughs> what it was. And um, you know, when you get to be, uh, you, this happens to most guys, right? You, you you go in to college thinking, "I'm going to be a PGA Tour player. I'm going to be a first team All American. I'm yeah. going to win a national championship." And you still believe that your sophomore year, and a, a few people get to actually do what they hoped they would do. Uh, but most of us start to, the reality starts to hit in junior, senior year. Like, you know, I'm not quite as good as I hoped I would be. And I've worked hard and I've done okay. But um, so I'm in that phase and I'm trying to raise money for pro golf, which is not fun to do. My family didn't have money to support me. And, and it wasn't like I had, you know, so I had to go out and kind of beat the pavement a little bit, which I wasn't enjoying very much. Right. And uh, I'm also dating my wife at the time, who was a track athlete at BYU and a a year away from graduation. So it all kind of pulled together here. And I'm like, yeah, sticking around for another year. Sounds like a pretty good idea. I can yeah. still practice and work on my pro game and then get some coaching experience, be around the team and, you know, keep hanging out with Catherine. Seems to have worked well. Uh, three daughters, if I, if I remember correctly. That's right. Yeah. There three daughters, yeah, three so amazing daughters. Still. Uh, so, so yeah, obviously the family life is, uh, is on track and that was a great decision. Do you remember the, maybe like the aha moment when you first got into coaching where maybe like reaching that player for the first time or, or the, just, you know, the, the earliest memory of you saying, Oh, wait a minute. I think this is, this is what I want to do. Like I got it. Uh, I do. Uh, and I would say, I remember that from a golf coaching perspective, but before that I, I kind of always was a coach. Like I, my dad coached, my brother's coach. We watched sports all day, every day, played video games where you would, you know, select and draft teams and build up players and played this game called status pro baseball with my buddies. It was like a stats based baseball game. History baseball play. guy. Yes. Yes, oh I was. God. So so I'm always thinking, I was thinking like a coach, uh, my dad coached, we taught coaching. Uh, I wanted to be a college basketball coach. I mean, I didn't miss many ESPN college basketball games. I was a huge Bobby Hurley fan growing up, by the sure. way. And he's well, now the coach at ASU. Now, now, now see, we're going, you're getting into delicate territory here because I'm a Kansas Jayhawk and me and Duke <laughs> don't exactly get along too well. So just, just tread lightly here. You're, you're opening up some, well, old, you're opening up some old wounds for me is all I'm saying. The nineties. Oh, I remember. Came, yeah. 
I remember when Danny Manning hit that game winner and I was watched it live very well. I mean, don't you, you don't need to I mean, feel like you've had a tough, tough background. They've I, done quite well. I guess they have. Yes, they have. But the <laughs> ni- early nineties was a little rough. I would just say 88 was f- fantastic, but you know, that 91, two and three, that was a little tough, a little tough. Uh, so I started, yeah. So I was always into kind of, I, I just kind of thought like a coach, I was the guy in, on my basketball team. Not that I was that talented, but I, I knew exactly what every position was supposed to do and I could kind of plug in into any of them. I just kind of, I always thought like a coach and was aware of that. And uh, so, but, but from a golf perspective, I do remember it when coach had asked me to coach, I'm still thinking like a, a pro golfer. And I remember one day, so I'm not in school. I remember one day being out hitting wedges and there was this practice facility at BYU. It's kind of a, just an open field area with a big, huge telephone pole. And then I was hitting 77 yard wedges at this pole just working on my aim and my distance control. And I had my music on. I'm like, man, this is so boring. I remember thinking, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> and it was like 37 minutes that I'd been practicing. I'm like, man, when's this going to be over? And I never really felt that. I always loved practicing in golf, but I got to this point where I'm like, oh, well, this isn't fun today for some reason. Then after that, I went to practice for the team. We were putting at Riverside Country Club. And we met with the team. We started doing some putting drills. I was involved in setting them up and I'm going from one guy to the other, working on their putting, you know, hitting the balls back to them. Each one's got a little different issue with their putting we're working on. And I'm like, this is so fun. And I remember just being mentally switched on going from one guy to the next being about them. And it really was an aha moment. Like, okay, I was bored by myself, but I'm loving this working with these guys on their game. And I think at that point, uh, that was probably that turning point where coaching became my passion. I, I got really into it that year. The next year I was hired uh, at the University of Washington to be the assistant coach for both the men and women, which was, you know, going back home for me. I had gotten married that spring and, uh, you know, the rest, I, su- I suppose, is history. I was at Washington for 16 years be- before coming to ASU seven and a half years ago. Yeah, had a great, uh, great run at Washington. Like, you, you know, you talked about, you know, two-time Pac-12 Coach of the Year and a couple conference, uh, three three conference titles, sorry, and, uh, um, you know, National Coach of the Year in, in 2009. So, yeah, all the all the accolades, you make the move then to Arizona State. Now, there are a lot of interesting topics we can talk about when it comes to college golf coaching. Uh, it seems like this is the case when I have any coach on the podcast, I kind of lay ideas out of where I want to take this and where I want to go. And then it just all gets, you know, shot to hell and we just go in a bunch of different directions. So we're going to do that. But before I do, I have to tell you, you mentioned Roto baseball and full disclosure. I went down a rabbit hole last night and we're going to talk about social media. Um, Apparently, and you'll know this already, but apparently there are Instagram accounts of guys and women opening old, packs of baseball cards and it is literally a trip down memory lane of guys that played in the 70s and 80s and 90s and it's 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 worth a follow that's all i can say if you if you want to like see names you haven't seen in like 20 years go follow one of those pages i was a big baseball card collector i know every single player probably from 1980 to 1995 and then my my knowledge drops off when i had to start you know yeah working and having a real life i'm kind of in the same way i was watching like you know when they're like all right here's uh this guy's opening like a pack of like 1995 donruss and i'm like well i'm not i don't care about that but like 87 tops sure i'm all in 86 tops and um yeah it's it's uh it's great 
it's uh, uh so anyway i went down a rabbit hole of that did not think i'd be mentioning that on, a, on the podcast this morning but uh it all works out it all works out well anyone that was interested in this podcast is no longer interested anymore no we're, we're gonna bring them back we're, no no we're gonna we're okay. gonna bring them back i got i got high hopes for this episode i think we're, we're going in a good direction arizona state so i spent a lot of time around college golf uh, a lot of time around players and coaches and obviously, you know, my line of work is helping to promote amateur and college golf uh, through my photography and video work and social media content and the podcast. And I would say that Arizona State stands out um, not by number of followers and all that stuff, but the content that you create on the Sun Devils Instagram account is so unique and so, uh, you know, it's, it's very personal. It's very fun. And it's a great follow. I mean, it's it's not your typical, okay, we're going to bring the university media team down for a day and we're going to do the photo shoot and we're going to do a bunch of fun videos and then they leave for the day. And, and that may be the last time that a golf team sees the media department of a university. It's that kind of, it's kind of how it happens. But for you, this is actually an integral part of the team. You're documenting and putting what happens with this team out into the into the uh, into the world? Can you just kind of maybe talk a little bit about maybe how that decision was made or when it all started for you? Yeah, sure. Uh, this is a passionate subject for me, and it's not just Instagram. I'd say from early on in my career, I realized okay, there's very limited news coverage. What there is is not never behind the scenes, any sort of real you know, textured coverage of college golf. Yeah. And I learned early on that, uh, you know, we have a unique opportunity to tell our own story and that we kind of have to. So for me, that's gone in a lot of different ways. I send after every tournament, I send our donors, uh, our thousand dollars and above donors, which at both schools has been more than, you know, hundred, 150 people. I send them a letter with the inside scoop on what happened. I've sent out a lot of emails. I've had blogs for years that uh people can follow the team on uh you know twitter not as much on twitter anymore but uh, there was a small window of time on facebook but in recent years we settled on um instagram uh it was actually during covid uh, may may 1 2020 armin and i you know we were not supposed to be coming into work but we would still come into work every day because we were off campus and we would be hiding over at our facility <laughs> uh, we didn't feel like staying sit, sitting around the house and so we're like you know what everyone else is going to do nothing and we're going to find ways to actually accelerate and and make a huge difference so um we settled on this idea to commit a lot of time and energy to our instagram account at the time we had five thousand followers we hadn't really done much and we just felt like it wasn't like, oh, we want, we love Instagram and we want to do this. It was, we love our players. We want to promote them. This NIL stuff's coming around the corner. Um, the more attention that they have, the more followers and connection to people they have, the more opportunities for them uh, in so many ways, financially and exposure and tournament opportunities. So, so we need to do everything we can to promote our players and to let people realize just how good these guys are how cool they are, yeah. how hard they work. Um, and so that's really what it was. And, and you'll notice like everything on our Instagram account is it's focused on our players. You might see my face a lot, but it's always talking about the team. Like this account is about the players. Right. Um, you're, you're, so kind of the, you're, you're the setup guy, basically. You're kind of the, the yeah. yeah, you're the setup guy. 
Well, and you'd learn early on coaching, hopefully that it's not about you anymore. It's about the players um, that you coach. And, and um, so anyway, so, so we started on May, literally had like a formal start. We're like, you know what, we're going to post every day. Uh, And we didn't know if that was a good idea or not, but it was, it was creating a discipline of doing it. And so really pretty much every day since then we have posted uh, something uh, and you know, what, what you've seen has changed a lot in the, in the last few years, but uh, our account has done great. We get incredible feedback from it and our, you know, engagement numbers, which is more important than followers are off the charts. Like people really do like following our stuff. It's unique. Uh, you made the point that it's, it's personal. Well, it's, it's personal because it's us. Uh, yeah. It's not our media person that comes in. It's, it's the coaches and the players uh, working behind the scenes just to kind of share share who we are and what we do. Well, the thing I like about it is, like, look, if you're a junior, uh, uh, you know, junior golfer parent, you can pull up, you know, Matt Thurman's bio, and you can pull up the team's bio and see how you finished and see who's on the team, and that that's all readily available. But this has to be a tremendous asset when it comes to recruiting because – you're really showing these kids that are coming in like, Hey, this is what it looks like to be on this team. And it, I mean, it, it must be a, a huge asset because you can also determine, is this kid going to be a good fit? Like no matter how good a, at golf they are, they still need to fit in with the team concept and the team environment. And your team's all about fun. I mean, you take care of your business on the golf course, but there's no, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that you, you have a handful of characters on this team. <laughs> I mean, it's well, not, it's you, not a, yeah. I mean, I, I don't see, that's who I see. I mean, you got, you got Potter, you got Preston, um, you know, you have just an entire uh, collection of guys that, that really get it. Yeah. I don't even, I mean, honestly, I, I'm an open book on this stuff, but I don't even want to tell you just how huge this is for recruiting. I mean, a lot of people believe that <laughs> recruiting is the 45 days that you spend out there on the road, watching, walking around in a pack, watching kids play golf. Like that's not recruiting. That's passing time, you know, that's being seen, but real recruiting. I mean, we believe that 90% of recruiting is done before you ever even can talk to them on June 15th. Uh, So uh, honestly, I don't, I think if you're not addressing these kind of things, you're not really, you're not really recruiting. Um, So we, it's a passion for us. It's been, uh, it's paid just huge dividends. Uh, Recruits do follow it. Yeah. Uh, donors and alums follow it. They Everybody knows what's going on in our program. And um, it's been fun to see it grow. Who, who is kind of the star of, or, or that's really comfortable in front of the camera? Like, who are the, some of the ones where, like, when it comes down to the fun stuff or, or, like, putting ideas together, like, are you coming up with the concepts? Or is the team coming up with ideas? Like, how does this whole thing happen? <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a lot of both. Uh, okay. when, you do, when you have to produce content every day, it can't be on one person. Like you just, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, and people that don't do it don't really understand how much time and energy it takes to get a, to get the right take and to make it look right and to provide the right caption and to edit it properly and all that, you know, it's, it takes a long time to learn how to get it right. So um, it's kind of, it ebbs and flows. Uh, There's an understanding in our program that we all are in on this. And so, you know, Thomas has kind of been carrying it for a long time. Uh, I pop in here for a week or two to, to, you know, take the load off of him. Our guys, they all great about it. And the thing about it, this is another thing, a benefit to it is 
mean, take Preston Summerhays. When he got here, before we put a camera in front of his face, he was like, okay, well, what are you going to ask me? And I want to make sure I'm ready. Yep, yep, yep. And now, like, you can put a camera in front of his face anytime. He'll say something interesting, funny, and and he's, you know, very quick on his feet now. Uh, So the guys learn. Uh, they learn how to how media to handle training. themselves. Media training. Yeah, it's great. It's great. But to answer your, as far as like who's the biggest personality, I mean, Luke Potter is, just loves being in front of the camera. And he's always got something funny to say. Yesterday we took video of him at TPC hitting out of a like a creek with his shirt off. Uh, you know, we had a we had a post maybe two weeks ago that was him hitting this tie spinner that has more than a million views now. Uh, a lot of our biggest posts have, have Luke Potter, <laughs> Luke Potter doing something funny or saying something funny. And and to further your point, um, uh, with uh, with Potter being so comfortable in front of the camera, and you're talking about how Preston's made a big big change. In a million years, I never would have guessed that you'd be talking about Luke Potter being the this one of the stars of the accountant and being comfortable in front of the camera because. As a junior, I don't know. Do you know this story about what happened at at the Merido Amateur when he played against Preston? So, I, I know about that tournament, but I don't know okay. what story you're referring so to. So Luke Potter beats Preston in the final match of the Merido Amateurs, the inaugural one, and I'm there and I'm taking pictures. And he, it was on, I think, at the first tee or something or tenth tee. I can't remember what it was, but. Um, he he hit his shot and and I'm and I'm there and and he he made it and he was obviously he's a junior he's like 16 years old and he says like hey could you not um could you not like point the camera at me and it wasn't like you know can you not click in my backswing which I wasn't doing he just didn't want the camera focused on him as a junior he was like yeah can you not yeah and I was like hey like look am I too close or like I'll move he's like no 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 it's not that just can you not maybe like point the camera at me and i'm like well that's gonna be hard that's gonna be hard luke it's it's you and preston there's no one else playing right now so that's gonna be a little tough but uh yeah that was what my first experience with luke potter and then of course probably you're you're as guilty as anyone for creating the social media monster that you have with with potter i mean he's great he really is he's always got something interesting to say he's got theories that you know, he's original that he's come up with and style. He's just got a lot of style and personality. It's, yeah. it's fun to put a camera. We're, we actually have to like, Hey, we can't post about Luke again. It, you know, yeah, like sure, we got to, sure. <laughs> yeah. sure. I can see that. Well, a lot of the content you create, uh, it involves, um, your practice facility. Uh, one of the best, uh, one of the coolest I've seen, uh, really uh, anywhere in the country and plenty of opportunities there to work on just about any part of your game. And, I remember at Greyhawk, many of the teens would would really struggle to figure out their yardage yardages, you know, very quickly in order to you know control their distances. You're obviously based out of Scottsdale. How how does the team use the practice facility to uh, not only stay sharp but also acclimate themselves for other conditions when they get on when you guys get on the road? Yeah, so uh, we're here all the time. I mean, they they'll normalize their their track man or, you know, the, the launch monitors now you can plug in different elevations and sure. temperatures that, you know, kind of tell you. So they actually work on that. Every team, every team has this problem where wherever they play is different than where they're going to. Yeah. Uh, and so nowadays you'll see everybody in a practice round taking their, their quad or track man out there and measuring all their shots so that they can quickly adjust. So they're, they're good at that. 
Um, you know, one of the things we do here is we make them, we keep some of the areas dormant, dormant Bermuda. Uh, if anything, our lies are too good, our grass is too pure, and we want to make sure the guys are chipping off some grungy lies and hitting wedges off, you know, really tight, dirty lies. Yeah. Uh, so we keep some of our stuff dormant and that, that helps us when we travel. Because honestly, if there's a, if there's a problem, it's that our conditions are too good. Uh, the, the grass is perfect. The greens are perfect. And, and sometimes going somewhere else makes it, you know, you get shocked a little bit that not everybody has the same conditions we do. So we're always trying to find elements, you know, we've had rain this week and we've been out playing in it. We're like, Oh, thank you. We need to practice playing in the rain. And, uh, we get a little more wind uh, here at the facility, which is good. But, you know, you just do whatever you can to, we, we, you know, before we go to the tournament, we'll prepare for the specific par three shots and kind of imagine those. Our facility is very dynamic and variable, so uh, you can kind of create any shot you want in any direction you want. So we'll, we'll try to put together par threes that look like the ones that we're going to play uh, at the course we're going to or focus on those specific shots that we've scouted out and we know we're going to need to, we're going to need. Now you have, obviously you have the control with your current team as far as how much time they're going to be out the range, how much time they're going to be playing for, you know, as I've said many times, parents of juniors listen to this podcast, juniors listens to listen to it for the, for the kid looking to get noticed by a college coach. Do you feel that some of the kids are spending too much time on the range and not enough time playing? What are maybe some things that juniors should do as far as finding that balance so that they're not just range rats? And especially you don't want to fall into that habit because you got to be able to play. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think if there's a uh, more than range rats, I'd say just practice rats, you know, like get yeah. out on the course and compete uh, and play golf. Uh, and, you know, on a range, you're inclined to hit full shots, your comfortable yardages when on the course you get out there and you don't have any of those numbers and you have to hit, everything's a little softer, a little harder, you know, curving it in a certain way that you didn't have to practice. Uh, so I would say that, I mean, I think we've all hit on the short game thing so much over the last few decades, you need to be practicing more short game. I think, I think actually people practice short game a lot. And I actually have to remind our guys, you know, go ahead and go up and hit some balls too. I know I love that you're chipping all day, but let's make sure our ball striking is clean as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a good sign. I think your facility dictates a lot of that. And um, our facility has kind of revolves around the short game area. So right. they're, they're naturally inclined to spill off the patio right into the short game area. Most practice facilities over the years have been built with a big, huge, beautiful range and then this tiny little chipping green off to the side. And I think over time, people are starting to realize that isn't the best model and they're putting a lot more energy and effort into their short game areas. Right. Consequently, people people are going to practice. I mean, the ground kind of teaches you what it teaches you in this game. And so the architect or the builder has the opportunity to basically create the learning environment by what they put in the ground. And golfers will automatically respond. You put a nice chipping green in, they're going to use it. And that's what we've done here at the bird is we've just tried to make it the ultimate place that when you step off the patio, you see so many shots and drills and fun things to do. You just can't, can't stop practicing because it's so interesting. Um, and that's what we've tried to do. Yeah. I, I like the the look of what you have there and I can, I mean, gosh, it also forget about just like the team aspect that just looks like a cool hang. I mean, I can't imagine these guys want to go anywhere else. I mean, you know, why not just hang there? I'm guessing they're studying there, they're eating there, they're they're practicing there. 
I'm sure there's got to be a TV or two laying around somewhere where they're they're watching golf on TV. I mean, this seems like the ultimate college golf frat house, so to speak. I think there's 17 TVs in the facility oh, for what it's worth. <laughs> no, but to you, to your point, like the vibe is everything, you know, yeah. uh, you could have, and I say this all the time when recruiting, like you could have the, you could practice every day at Augusta national. And if you didn't like and enjoy the people you're with, you would still be miserable. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, if you had the most janky practice facility in the world, but you had your best buddies to go spend you know hours with every day at it, you would love it. And so, really, I mean, you can't you can't talk about a facility without talking about the people that are there because they create the vibe and the culture. And so, we have guys that get along well; they love hanging together. We do have two to three meals a day here every day for them. They do study here. We have cornhole and wiffle ball and football and darts and, um, you know, all the fun stuff to do. We've got an ice cream. We've got a popcorn maker, an ice cream freezer, a workout facility. Like we try to make sure that there's no reason to leave. And consequently, they're they're here all the time having a great time together. You know, getting back to the the recruiting thing, it's you know you're you have a team I and mean, you got a melting pot. I mean, you got the the local kid, you got Preston, obviously, and and you know his sister Grace is in the women's team, and I feel like you know that's that's the the hometown kid. But then you got you know Ballister from Spain and Kiko from Portugal. You have as you mentioned, you got uh, Wenyi from China. You brought in Nicholas Prieto, a uh, you know great kid that I got to know a little bit uh, from playing in the Terracotta. He's uh, he's from down where I am, down from Miami. So, like I said, you, when you're recruiting and getting players to come in, and and it goes into the social media aspect of what they're seeing, what the culture is like, you're also trying to find someone that's going to really be a good fit with the other guys in the team. Is how much does that play into this? Uh, I think it plays into like a you, lot. Because you have to have a yeah. kid that has that personality that like, okay, I can see this kid, you know, fitting right in. You're not, I, I mean, you're probably not, do you have a lot of introverts on this team? I guess that's the better question. You know, they're all kind of introverts, to be honest with you, maybe except for Luke. Uh, but you put a bunch of introverts together in a fun environment and they seem like extroverts. Right. Uh, which is, it's just kind of uh, an interesting thing. You know, we, you know, finding guys that are going to get along. It's not a geographic thing. It's not a race thing or a religion thing. It's really more of a personality and commitment level thing. And so we're looking for the very, very best um, golfers and people around the world. And we honestly, we don't care where they come from Uh, on this team. I think six or seven languages right now, there's been years where we've had more than 10 different languages on the team that could be spoken. Uh, you will find if you came and watched our team, they might look very different. They might sound very different, even personality types, but they get along great because they're all so into golf. They all take it seriously. Nobody's kind of like upsetting the the flow of things or, or off tune with the rest. Uh, they're just guys that like really, really are into competing and getting good at golf and that take it seriously and, and they have a lot of fun together. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you recruit that you want guys, I, you know, for me, I, my whole life is dedicated to this. Right. So I want guys that I want to give my whole life to in a way, you know, like I make a lot of sacrifices and family and lifestyle to, to do what we do. And I want to be around guys that I want to be around and that make me know that it's worth it, which it is. Uh, so, so yeah, and recruiting, you're very much looking for somebody. Okay. Do I want to, do I want to spend every day with this guy for the next four years? Yeah. Uh, that's a big question. 
you were very fortunate to, I mean, kind of, I guess, basically what every coach in Division One would love to have, the ability to host a national championship in their own backyard. National championship was at Greyhawk for three years. You were the host. Um, first year, tied for third. You know, you basically got into match play all three years. Uh, 2022, were runner-up to, uh, to Texas. But how challenging was that to have on your schedule for three years knowing that that was coming, what was kind of the messaging that you gave the guys to, you know, make sure they were peaking at a very important time of the year? Yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges to start out was that everybody was upset about it. Uh, here we thought we were doing a good thing and we're putting massive amount of time and energy and money and community into this thing. And many of the fellow coaches around college golf were upset that ASU had been done had been given this. And, you wouldn't really hear that from someone that had hosted a championship. This is the people that are most upset are the ones that would haven't ever done this because they don't know like the toll that it takes and the investment that it takes. So yes, it was great to have, but I mean, I'm just fine with it going somewhere else now. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I think our guys will be too. Uh, we, we loved having it. It worked out well. I think we played, we didn't win the championship, but we were until the second, you know, second to last day or last day, the entire time. Uh, the fans enjoyed it. I think people really enjoyed the championship and were impressed by the job Greyhawk and ASU did. Uh, but yeah, we look forward to to showing up quietly and anonymously in San Diego this year if we qualify and and being able to not have that. Um, it's a heavy burden. I mean, we're we're playing all over town, so every everywhere we go and everyone you know every day someone's bringing up the national championship, especially when it's at Greyhawk uh, with our guys. We we run into people every day that are fans and interested and and that's a lot of pressure on these guys i'm i admire very much how how they handled it and how they responded and like i said we didn't we didn't win it but we played awesome yeah Uh, we made match play three years in a row we won three matches and um we always you know we played well yeah and you're right i mean with college golf you're really not getting that home field, home court advantage, you know, in football or basketball, um, you know, the football team knows what it's like to play in front of a packed stadium and basketball, you know, when that arena is rocking, you have that huge advantage, even for your guys having a, you know, being a Greyhawk, they're not used to having like a hundred or 200 fans come out on that first tee box, all, you know, wearing school colors that, that had to be kind of, that's a culture shock too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and you said, you know, the advantage part of it, we pushed before we ever got here, we pushed aggressively to allow so that ASU didn't hoard the home course advantage right. to allow every team to come as much and as often as they want to play Greyhawk. So it was kind of a joke on our team. Like, man, I think some of these teams, and I'm not going to name the names, they play it more than we do. Like every time <laughs> we go up there, there was teams, a lot of the same teams there all the time. And then you stack it three years in a row. And, you know, these teams, I'm not picking on North Carolina, but North Carolina also played in three NCAA champion. I mean, three match play, right? So they played in the same years and they came out for our tournament and played it. And they came out other times and played like they played dozens and dozens of tournament rounds on that same course. Like there was no advantage for us, uh, which I thought was cool. And I'm, I'm sad that that's going to go away because uh, it was a, it was an awesome atmosphere when everybody knew the course people would come in all year and talk about it would build up a hype that I thought was pretty unique. Yeah, no, it was, 
it was definitely a, a fun experience uh, to be out there. I, but just like you, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm excited to not be in the desert. Um, I remember my first year out there and it was like a hundred and whatever. And I just was like, oh my gosh, because I'm, I'm a Florida guy. So I like the humidity. And I went out there for the first time and I was like, okay, I'm not sweating. Um, what's wrong with my body shutting down? It was just a little different for me. <laughs> I was like, this isn't normal. Okay. I'm, dr- I'm drinking 12 bottles of water a day. I'm not sweating. Uh, I'm, I'm not looking for a tree. Uh, is there a problem? What's happening? Well, I mean, would it have been much different in Florida at that same time? Well, I mean, you, no. You, well, you wouldn't be drinking 12 bottles of water there if you were out there all day. I think you probably would. Well, I would have been sweating is what I'm kind of coming back to. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Okay. Like, okay, I see visual proof that my body is working, but out there I was like, okay, uh, okay what's happening? This isn't, this isn't normal. Um, but that's just, that was just for me. Let's, uh, all right, we're going to shift gears away from national championships, something that I actually have never really talked about much on the podcast because, you know, this is about amateur and college golf. But um, perfect uh, way to talk about live. You, I believe David Pooge was probably the first, was he the first college or amateur golfer to go to live? I'm thinking he was. I, I don't because uh, James Piot or Piot Piot okay um, Piot maybe yeah. but that um, yeah. yeah but I don't think he was I think he had graduated yes he yeah he, but he went direct he went right there yeah uh, so Pooj was the first current college golfer to do it yeah uh, and it was funny you know it was we're talking May of what twenty twenty two yeah uh, they had started reaching out to him and Pooj was a four year guy here forever he he loved it here and was very deep into the team and culture and and all of a sudden this opportunity starts to get whispered and talked about and it's going for a couple of weeks and he's come in to talk to me a couple of times about it and in some detail and and then basically it just it gets to be where look this is too good of an opportunity and too much of a life-changing opportunity for him and for his family to pass up there was a window of time where this was just such a home run and you know, here's a guy from Spain who, with again, with all due respect to the PGA Tour and everything, he's not getting sponsors exemptions that the American kids are getting. He's got nothing. He wasn't like at the top of the PGA Tour U ranking, so he's not looking like he's going to go there. And all of a sudden, this live opportunity pops up. He's a top ten amateur in the world, and it makes it makes sense for him. So he ends up, you know, deciding to do it. Uh, news starts to break a little bit. We're at the NCAA championship, and we had just we had just finished, I think it was the third or fourth round of the NCAA championship. And uh, Ryan Lavner comes up to me and says, Hey, we're going to, we're going to be talking about this. I just want to let you know. So Pooj and I had a little powwow, about what to say or what not to say, I think he handled it pretty well, but the news broke at the NCAA championship. That's how media folk are. They want to take advantage of the moment. I get it. Yep. Uh, so I think Pooj handled it well. But as soon as that was announced, and again, this is the middle of the NCAA championship that we're hosting um and we're you know we're in the hunt to win this thing uh he starts getting just bombarded uh by messages on his social media i mean the most vicious yeah horrible message um from from all types um and it was kind of shocking for him uh alarming for me not shocking but alarming and kind of disgusting that uh really i mean you got a bunch of people that probably don't know anything or very little actually about the Saudis and the history uh, and America's connection with them, you know, just blasting the Spanish kid who chose to take an opportunity. That's amazing. 
that doesn't, you know, doesn't know anything about that other stuff that these guys are referring to. So uh, the next morning, I mean, Pooch, I call him into the hotel room and we're talking and I mean, he was a little rattled. He was handling it well. And it was like a first eye opener, like for him about what the world, how the world works. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, wow. You know? And, and so I think that day he learned, okay, fans are going to be crazy. They're going to say a lot of really ridiculous stuff. I can't take any of it too seriously because this is just insane. You know, the things they're saying to me. Uh, and it was so, but, but he's dealing with all that the morning before we go out and play either. The, I can't remember if it was either the fourth round to make the final cut or the first round of match play. I think it must've been before the fourth round because there was a morning we were off. So anyway, that was, uh, I admire him for handling that, for taking that. I mean, now if somebody goes to live, people kind of get it. Uh, they may not like it, but they understand it. Uh, for Pooj at the time, he was a pioneer and he kind of took the brunt yeah. uh, of a lot of that. And the, the, the best thing about the story, Pooj is a very loyal guy. He still to this day lives in the same apartment with his roommates and teammates um, in Tempe, by the way. same uh, He lives with Preston and Josele and Riggs. And I talked to him on the phone last night. They were on the couch watching a movie uh, and just hanging out together. So um, so Pooch did that. He came back. He graduated. He was one year short because he left that year. His first year on live, he was doing school online. He graduated, paid his own way, is a Sun Devil alum is a donor to our program. He's giving back. He attends our fundraising events. He hosts the guys on the team sometime up at Whisper Rock to play golf. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful story and he made the right choice and it's, it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. He, back at that time. Yeah, you're right. He was kind of like the first one, you know, first one through the wall is going to get it in the face pretty hard. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm even, it's so funny because like, you know, when looking at the comments on social media after Dunlap wins the American Express, it is kind of frightening. I mean, we're so entrenched in this world. I mean, we can rattle off names of every top amateur in the world, and we know the tournaments and, um, you know, how college golf and amateur golf works. But, man, the, the general golfing public, they don't really – they don't know much at all. I mean, they don't know that – you know, like, oh, this guy doesn't get paid for winning a PGA Tour event? Like, what is this? I mean, it's crazy. People just don't understand yeah. that world. And, you know, to your point, uh, you know, people just say some really dumb things on social media, unfortunately, which is nothing new. But, um, I, yeah. yeah, I can only imagine the things that, that he was having to deal with while he's playing in the national championship. Exactly. Yeah. Very eye-opening experience for him. And it, it was good for me too. It's like, you know what? Be very, very careful. The things you say, the opinions you have, because you sure look like an idiot when you're spouting off and you're aggressive on an opinion that you don't know anything about. And at the time, you know, I'm not that I'm some Saudi expert or anything, but I know a lot more probably than, than the average Joe on this. And I've read a lot. And, and so to see some of these comments that were so off base was, was just amazing to me and it was it was good it was good for me to see like you know what just just you know don't say something unless you really know it <laughs> yeah, yeah that's a great and, and whatever you do say on social media and i'm actually very passionate about this you'll notice with our account there is never even a hint of a negative comment on our account and we get a lot of comments from people that are pretty rude on our account too as you can imagine with our followers now um we don't respond to those we don't engage them yep I don't know what it is about people that feel the need to 
you know, to tear people down and to be rude. I, I just don't get it. Like there's no need for that. And the world would be so much better if people would just be civil. It's uh, it's one of the great things when you run your own account, because I deal with that too. Um, just people throwing things up just because they want to make a splash or get, you know, it, you know, get some sort of a reaction. And uh, yeah, we just, uh, we don't, we don't address that stuff. That's not what, uh, what back of the range is trying to do. And it's not what, uh, what you're trying to do. You just, Hey, we're trying to tell a fun story and make some jokes, but yeah, I, I have to be careful with what things I say or the jokes that I make, because, you know, I kind of have a, I like to have fun and I have to remember that maybe not everyone's going to get that jokes. So maybe we'll just pass on that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning too. I'm learning too. <laughs> so, um, well, I am going to let you go and get ready for, uh, for, for, uh, practice today. And obviously you got a, got a lot going on to, as the spring gets in. Uh, last thing I will end on, uh, let's get, get a pickleball update on this team. I know that's a big part of your culture as well. I know bowling's a big part of the culture. I think you took the team bowling during the national championship last year. Um, Let's just stick with pickleball. Give me, give me the ultimate grudge match that would last a long time on this team, and, and who would come come out on top. <laughs> well, what you have to understand is that I most of these games start with me. Okay, and I pick games that nobody else knows how to play. Okay, that I'm kind of good at. So then I get to win for a while, and then as soon as I get them all excited about the game, they all pass me and get way better at it than me, and then I have to find the next one. Okay, so pickleball is kind of decreased and it's and it's important ping pong is having a renaissance in our program okay but to answer the question thomas and i thomas is our best pickleball player by far um preston uh preston plays Riggs plays they're probably the two best players on the team and so we have some good battles those four on the ping pong table it's it's usually me and thomas and a two-man team against kiko coelho and gabe salvanera i mean every day like when are we playing when are we playing because they uh, they really like those battles, and uh, it's, it's been a busy time, so we've had to put it off a little bit. But but there will come a time when it's an everyday occurrence. It sounds like you're running a summer camp for golf, and then occasionally you, they they go play a tournament and maybe crack a book. I mean, it really does sound like a clubhouse you're running there. <laughs> and I mean that I mean that in a good way. Could be better than that. I know. I know. Better than that. No, it just it, it doesn't sound like you know normally. Uh, you know, and I'm not going to drop names, but when I talk to coaches, I'm just like, I hear all about the culture and we're grinding and we're this and, we're, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that just, that just doesn't sound as much. That sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. I'm just like, oh God, really? Like, cause you know, you have to like, I, I mean, when I talk to coaches, it, I think the default message to communicate is just program program culture program you know working we're everything's just like you know we're 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 moving towards a goal and we have this goal and that goal and i'm like i know every i know coach i know but like are you guys having fun like like where's you know do, do you guys you know give each other crap on the road is is there anything so it's it's refreshing yeah. to kind of hear that from from your program which i'm not surprised at all by the way well, two things on that is, is number one, people think that having fun is like the opposite of working hard. Right. And exactly. Couldn't be more wrong. Like having fun allows you to be able to work hard for a long period of time because you enjoy it. Nobody wants to keep doing something that isn't fun. Number one. So and number two is Riggs Johnson actually said this yesterday, which you'll appreciate. It was in qualifying. I don't know what was going on, but I'm walking with him. He's like, you know, playing golf for fun isn't even fun. 
<laughs> and I said, wow, that's a good, that's a good quote. He's basically saying, look, if you're not playing competing and trying your hardest and yeah. with something on the line, it's not really fun. So even in these ping pong matches and even in these pickleball and all the little competitions and games that we have out here, it's always cutthroat battle, hard work, working hard. But that whole thing is, is really fun to do together. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point that you're you're building a competitive environment where and it doesn't need to always be around golf. Right. Well, I just want to tell you, I just want to tell you, thank you. Um, I see you all the time out there. You do incredible work to appreciate you promoting college golf. Um, you you help a lot. You tell the stories, you take amazing pictures and your presence, you know, it's, it's comforting for everybody. And, and it's just awesome. We need more and more good people covering our sport. It's an awesome sport. It's growing people, people that get into it really love it. And there's so much more here than we've tapped into yet. And you're doing a, you're doing more than your part to, to push it out there. And we appreciate it very much. Uh, I, I appreciate you saying that. I, um, I, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I can't believe it's been uh, gosh, when I started the podcast was 2018. And I'm like, how did, how did we get uh, five years down the road, six years, whatever it is. Um, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> well, coach, uh, go, uh, go find your guys. Uh, I'm not sure where they are. Either they're huddled around the ice cream uh, uh, cooler or ping pong or wherever they're at on the golf course, go find them. Uh, good luck the rest of the spring season and uh, appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thanks so much for having me on. And there you have it. Special thanks to Coach Thurman for joining me on this episode here at the Back of the Range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. And there's new merch coming. Hope everyone has a great week. We'll see you next time here at the Back of the Range.